Welcome to the morning, yo. It is Michael Yo. So um, I, I, I want to start with this. Um, I love this morning, yo podcast. When we started, we had like 20,000 people only two months ago. And then uh, I started doing it every day. And now we just went over 185,000 people in just two months. So you guys are loving the program. You're loving what I'm bringing in. What I like to do, you know, I'm all about positivity and love and helping you guys get through rough times is, is why you listen sometimes. Cause you hear what I'm going through. I hear what you guys are going through. As always, you can leave a comment. If you want to leave a comment um, and any guests we have on, you can actually talk to that guest through a comment. If you have a question. Now, the reason why I have on this next gentleman is I met him. I went to Traeger. Of course, everybody knows if you watch me on Instagram, I always cook on my Traeger, but I met him uh, at their headquarters and I meet a lot of people from celebrities to politicians to all types of different people, you know, but only few leave me where I, I am inspired. And I got to tell you, Jeremy Andrus, how are you, my friend? Dude, I'm so uh, I'm pumped to hang out with you this morning. This is great. Well, I got to say, after I met you and we went into your story and we're going to tell your story for everybody watching, because I think it's very important because we hear about people like you but we never get to talk or see people like you. You know, you hear about, oh yeah, Traeger and the guy that took over and the guy that changed the culture, but you never, people really never get to hear it, never get to hear your story. So I, I think it's important because after I met you, I was very inspired and it really hit me that, oh my God, this is this is something I might want to do in the future, like which the business you're into. And I love, because I feel like this podcast is a show that when people log in, it could actually change their lives and give them a positive outlook on something negative. And that's what you kind of did with the Traeger family. It was a lot of negativity. It was, it was a lot of people stabbing each other in the back. And then you came in and changed it and um, made it a great work environment. So first off, welcome to the show. Now, I want, I want you to kind of tell people in two or three sentences who are you and, and what got you to this point? Look, so, so first of all, uh, as I hear you talk about Traeger, I'm sort of having this out-of-body experience, which is I'd love to say that seven and a half years ago, this was the master plan. But <laughs> you, you, get, you get in the middle of something and you don't envision it and you realize, you know, for me, it was that there was so much that I loved but it was so bad and was so painful. You stretch yourself and like you find truth and you find answers and you learn how to, you know, sort of build team and, and do more than you'd expect it. But it's been a wild ride. I got to tell you, it's been a wild ride. Uh, the best of the best of my career. And I'd say like one of the best of my life of my life and, you know, careers in life are so tightly interconnected that, uh, I don't have a career. Traeger is what I do. It's important to me. It's important to my family. And so you ask, you know, do I define myself by Tra Traeger? Who I am? am I? No, but I really love it. And it's been like a unique moment. Um, but like, boy, I'm, 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 a, a, I'm making this up as I go. I have a lot of passion for people and organization and culture. I love building. You know, I love adventure. I love risk. Um, you know, I was I was running uh, up a steep mountain with a buddy this morning and 
it's nothing I'd rather be doing at like five o'clock in the morning with a headlamp. So I, I love adventure. Um, I get, I get bored by mundane things. And I would say that, um, you know, it's, uh, my career has been a wild ride. I love where it is, but there were moments where I was lost. I was doing random stuff that, 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 that made no sense, but you know, I'm just a big believer that, um, you know, the journey is the, the, the journey is the destination that I try and, uh, just sort of script an interesting story every time that's fun. Now, I know you started, or maybe you didn't start there, but you kind of took over Skull Candy. You were part of Skull Candy when it was worth like a million dollars. And then after you left, it was worth $300 million. So where were you at the point in your career when you did that? Were you just starting out? Were you, yeah. you, you kind of faking it till you make it and you ran into this project and you were like, oh, man, I can change this? You've, you found me out. Uh, the, the, the answer is yes, but I, I don't do that anymore, but I definitely was doing that at the time. So, you know, there was like this 10 year meandering in, uh, in, in, in my journey where I day traded stocks full time. I made millions of dollars and then I lost all of it. And I lost more than I'd started with. And it took me 10 years to pay it back. Um, how did you, you lose the money when the stock market crashed? No, actually it, 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 I, I lost the money shorting internet stocks that you've never heard of. Um, wow. So this, this is in the late nineties. And it's like, I think I know what I'm doing. I look back and say, truly, I had no idea what I was doing. I just had a lot of margin leverage. And so I put in my $25,000 and uh, my brokerage gave me 10 times that much. And so I just kept buying stuff and late nineties, everything's growing. And I started shorting stuff. And I got crushed. And I actually, like at the very end of this thing, I had to borrow $200,000 to get out of margin debt. I lost all of the money that I'd started to save when I was like seven years old and bought my first lawnmower, cutting lawns. And uh, it was a very humbling, very difficult experience. But honestly, I built hotels. I started a frozen beverage supply business. I was a management consultant. I was a bad management consultant. <laughs> like I, I was all over the place, but like really believing that, you know, um, there was there there was something that 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 would hold my attention that would be meaningful, and that while well, I, I I started like pure discipline and strategy, and I got to a point where I realized you can't live your life through pure discipline and brute force. And so I did all these things. And actually, interestingly, um, you know, I was working in San Francisco for Kimpton Hotels and Restaurant, a boutique hotel and restaurant chain. And I was somewhat bored, but, you know, I was paying back my business school debts, $700 a month over 30 years. I mean, it's like, it was like a mortgage. Yeah. And uh, I called my dad and I said, you know what? I'm bored and I found this cool thing in Park City called Skull Candy. And my dad's like, well, uh, we'd love to see you for Sunday dinner because they lived in Park City at the time uh, or they just moved to Park City. But you're not moving back home. And I said, that's awesome, Dad. I'll see you next week. And uh, it was three guys at Skull Candy, half a million bucks in revenues. And uh, I quit my job. I got in my Ford Explorer. I called my landlord like three hours into my drive and said, I'm out. 
And, he's, and, and I said, I left my furniture. You can just throw it out. And he said, I'm happy to throw it out, but I'm keeping your last month's rent. And I said, no problem. We're good. And I, uh, I drove to my parents' basement for like the third time since college. And so, you know what? It was, um, I wasn't really classically prepared. So to, to, to your question, was I faking it till I made it? 100%. Now, I was loving the experience that I was having. But um, look, I mean, like I remember going to China for the first time to try to find factories to source headphones with. And I bought a one-way ticket. And uh, I remember telling my wife, hey, uh, I'm going to China next week. I don't know exactly when I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> but you have, like at the time, like you didn't use your cell phone in China. We couldn't afford to. It's like $3 a minute or something. And I said, but I'll be on email. And so, uh, you know, I, I just like, although I was never, I'm not really trained to do anything I do. I've come to love problem solving, finding people to help me solve problems. And just like this, this feeling of being sort of tipping halfway back in your chair and not knowing which direction you're going to land. To me, that's the journey. That's the journey. When you, when you started working for school, Candy, how old were you? Uh, I was... 30 years old, 30 years old. So yep. that's the point where, you know, even parents are like, yo, you got to figure this out. So <laughs> yeah. you're, so you're 30 years old living in your parents' basement. <laughs> that's right. Well, well, what I love about this story, I think that right there where we start this story can give people hope, you know, cause a lot of people in their twenties, like I remember when I was in my twenties, like what I want to do, what I want to do, what I really want to do. And then sometimes it takes that journey to really fall into what you yeah. love and you did. Yeah. And what yeah. was the biggest, what was the biggest, um, what was the biggest issue you had going into Skull Candy? Cause like you said, uh, I've read it was a million dollar company. You change it into a $300 million company. What is the, what is the one thing that you look back that you had to change in that company? You know what? So, so I'd say for, first of all, there was a, uh, there was a decision to quit a good job that it paid the rent. I was paying, paying down debt and to follow my, uh, my gut, my, my heart, my instinct. And uh, my dad said, dude, Jeremy, you have a good job. Like just keep at it. And uh, it was not, a, like I had been there a year and a half, two years. It wasn't an easy decision, but I just, I just, my gut said, this is the right thing to do. But Interesting, like as an entrepreneur, like ignorance is bliss. You just feel like there's no way you're going to fail. Like, of course, like that's you, you don't become an entrepreneur because you think you're going to fail. And it's interesting because I look back at Skull Candy and I say, there's no way this thing should have worked. Like literally no one would invest in our business. We raised money 25,000 bucks at a time and somehow it worked. So you asked what, what needed to be changed. Well, honestly, there just wasn't much there at the time. There, there was a vision. And my, my, the, the, the founder, Rick Alden, he's a wonderful, he's a tremendous entrepreneur. Um, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, like day one, honestly, well, day, day four, uh, Rick came and sat in my office and he kind of put his he took off his, his hat and put his kind of started ruffling his hair and, and head down. He said, dude, we have a problem. And he said, okay, 
what's the problem? How can, I help, how can I help solve your problem? Which turned out to be my problem. And he said, well, we're out of money. And uh, we're not going to pay the, we can't pay the factory tomorrow and tomorrow's payroll. This is Thursday. We've only got three, three guys, but they need to be paid. And I remember thinking, this would have been nice to know a week ago, like before, before I got in my Ford Explorer and drove here, that there was no money in the bank. And uh, so problem number one was I had to raise money. By the way, I put my only money in the company that I had at this point. I put $30,000 in, which was a ton of money to me. And, um, and then I set out to raise money. And what you realize in a business like that is the pain points just move. So we we raised a little bit of money. Then I realized we don't know how like, we don't know how to manufacture headphones real well. So it's like, how do we do that? And then it moves to I don't know how to build team. And then it's brand. And then it's like re, I'd never sold to retail before. So what what I love about being an entrepreneur is that when people see you as like this, they they just see exactly the the face of of what you do. What they don't realize is that the breath to make it all happen. It's not, I mean, it's like what you're doing right now. You yeah. don't just wake up in the morning and sit in front of a mic. Like there's a whole, like you've got, you've got an audience and you've got infrastructure and technology and like content. And I love that as an entrepreneur, you're not solving a single problem over and over and over. You're kind of solving a new problem every day. Yeah. And to me, the variety is amazing. It's it's so fun to go to work. That's why I love stand-up comedy. That's why I love entertainment because, you know, there's a lot of highs, but then there's a lot of lows. And the lows, you got to navigate through because a lot of times the lows will get people out of the business. So yeah. it's kind of like you, and I would imagine being an entrepreneur, because when you say the word entrepreneur, it's so just broad. You know, anybody can throw that on if they have a small business, any type of business, but why I wanted to interview you is because I wanted people to really see a real entrepreneur in, in the way they think, because who's ever watching, you know, it could uplift them to do something great as well. So you were at Skull Candy, 300 million. What made you want to leave? <laughs> that is that is a good question. And I remember the moment that I had this conversation with my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, we are walking down the street. Uh, we're in Boston. Uh, we're at my business school reunion and uh, it got quiet. And I said, you know what? I think I have to leave Skull Candy. And she looked at me and she stopped and said, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this is your baby. This is everything to you. It's all like, this is what you've wanted so badly for so many years. And like, and there's some context here, which was we, we had become a, public company, which is hard. Um, we were the what's hard. What's hard for people that don't, what's hard about it? Being you know, a public company? so, uh, well, first of all, I didn't know how to be a private company CEO. And then <laughs> it just, it's like, I'm just, again, I'm making this up and, and fortunately I'm better now than I was then. Uh, cause I, because you learn, but, but honestly, it's like, I had just started to learn how to be a private company CEO and you realize that you become public and suddenly you're not just obsessed with your customers every day and you're like a product and your brand. Suddenly you've got this beast called wall street to man mm. and wall street is demanding. And, and I, and you have to spend time there and you've got to help them understand the story. And I, and I would add to that, that 
we were the highest shorted stock on the NASDAQ. Number one, like not, not in a way that you want to be yeah. uh, for six months. And so as a young CEO, I already felt the pressure of the business. I didn't want to let my team down. Like I really cared about letting my team down. And I really internalized the pressure of like having taken a company public and the stock being down and people betting against me. Like when they short your stock, they are betting against you. They're saying it's going to fail. And then they make money when you fail. It sucks. And you know what? It's uh, so, so I really internalized that pressure. And there's some great lessons for me looking back on that. I mean, like I was just a deer in the headlights. Like I, I was, I, I couldn't step back and, and recognize, number one, that we were selling headphones, not saving lives. Like I was internalizing this like it was like really heavy. And the other is that, you know, when, when, you, when business problems are burdens, you don't solve them well. It's like yeah. when it's like this emotional stress, you're not going to be resourceful and creative and sort of when, when you're intrigued by a problem, it's like you feel passion and like the endorphins start to kick in. Like you solve it in a way that you kind of look back and say, I didn't know I could do that. And yeah. by the way, when it's just the weight of the world and you're afraid, and I hate to say I was afraid, but it was heavy. Um, I didn't solve problems well. And and so I, I turned to, my, to Kristen, who's like partner, best friend. Like I share everything with her. And she said, no, you can't do this. And by the way, the best thing that ever happened to me from a professional perspective, Kristen, from, from a life perspective, but like professionally, it's like I met Rick Alden and like I had this opportunity to become a, an entrepreneur. The second best thing was the day I walked out of the Skull Candy building for the last time. And I really thought I would be devastated I thought I would be sad. I thought I would miss it. But I remember walking outside mid-February of 2012. And it's like the heavens had parted. It's like yes. this, this burden was lifted from my shoulders and the sun in my face felt good. And, um, you know, I'd had eight years of insanity that I hadn't really had an opportunity to sort of process. And I took a year to, to live, to get to know my wife and children. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to travel to actually wrote, I wrote a lot about my experience at Skull Candy not not for public consumption but for sort of uh, introspection to say to, to just really internalize what did I learn it's like it's okay to make mistakes but I wanted to learn from them and I didn't want to make the same mistakes again and I'll tell you like Skull Candy was eight years of just like a ferocious pace. Uh, millions of miles, like doing things that I never expected I could do. But it was, um, I realized that if I was, if I was going to, if I wasn't going to learn from my lesson, I was going to look back in 30 years and say, my best work happened in my thirties. Yeah. What what does that say about the next 30 years? So it was important for, for me to learn and to sort of create a blueprint for my future. So you create this blueprint, and the one thing I noticed about you just, you know, you, you guys invited me up. I did a comedy show for you guys. But what I notice is everybody on your staff is happy. Everybody is invested into what you do because I think what I noticed in the short time I was there, you really invest in people. 
And I think more than anything, to have a successful company, you have to invest, invest in the people that work there. Totally. Look, this is um, this is like the best kept secret in business. And, and, and I don't know why that's the case. You know, there's a cliche phrase, which is like it exists for a reason, which is I f- like I feel like a number in my company. I'm just a number. And what that means is I don't have a, a, a custom career path. No one really cares about me as a human being. They just want me to produce for them. And, um, you know, it's uh, I, I, I learned early on that. You know, as as a CEO, if you're the only one having fun, what's the point? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if um, and by the way, there there was there was a very poignant moment that I that I figured this out. And it was post Skull Candy, where um, uh, I I was trying to figure out what was next. And my we're not my family's not big consumers. We don't really value stuff. We value adventure and travel but not like expensive cars and stuff like that. And so we got to the end and said, Hey, uh, financial needs, needs are met. So what are we going to do? And we looked at philanthropy and we looked at, you know, uh, nonprofit organizations. We thought about taking our kids around the world to, you know, live in places like India and Romania and serve. And I, 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 I came back to something that was very meaningful to me. Um, I'd come to know a, a, a professor by the name of Clayton Christensen, uh, who's one of the brightest business minds in the world. He passed a couple of years ago. Wonderful, wonderful human being. And um, he wrote the, he, he wrote this book that, that was very impactful to me, which is uh, it's called How Will I Measure My Life? Mm-hmm. And he taught in, in, in there, there was a section that, that really hit home to me where he talked about management being a noble profession. And it's noble not because you're paying people every other week, not because you're providing a job. That's important, but that's like table stakes. That's minimum threshold. It's important because if you do it the right way, you have this far-reaching impact. And 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 I had this thought, which is what I love to do is build companies. I love product. I love brand. I love everything about being on a team. Maybe the highest and best use of my time in terms of doing good uh, has nothing to do with the money, but it has everything to do with creating an environment that inspires people to be their best selves and an environment where, you know, they're not only successful professionally, but they, 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 they're, they're stretched and they're pushed and they feel some adversity that takes them to a positive place. And they're happy and they go home and they're better husbands, wives, partners, moms, dads, community members. It's like suddenly it's not about headphones and it's not about grills. Those are the outputs of just like caring about people and investing in them. And when you realize that, Boy, this this was a second realization I had along the way that your career is not just about you. If it's just about you, like ironically, you can't enjoy it. But 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 if you make it about other people and you care about them and the experience that they have, suddenly you get this tremendous satisfaction from it. 
And that that was it. That was a huge moment for me. And I I, I remember like the very moment that happened. Uh, we had um, you know we Traeger we'd had more success than I than uh, than I had expected. Uh, we took some money out of the business. We recapitalized, sold part of the business, and I had this opportunity to write a check to every single member of the company, and they didn't expect it. And I thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, I wanted to reward them, but I was more clinical in, in my thought process than I, than I had understood. And I remember waking up two days later after receiving just some of the best messages of my life. Like I just couldn't believe how much impact, not just the money, but, but the experience of being part of Traeger meant to people. And I said, you know what? I want to do this again and again and again for them. Uh, and, and so that was um, like my, my passion just became the inputs of, mm-hmm. of success, not the outputs. The outputs. So, go ahead. No, no, no. So I, I want, since you're already in the trigger, I, I do want to talk about what made you go to Traeger? Let's start from the beginning of Traeger because you left Skull Candy. You took off a year and I'm sure you had other offers. Why was Traeger the right fit for you at the time? And how was it when you first got there? Because I want to walk people through this story. Yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, for, first of all, I realized looking back on my Skull Candy experience that magic happened and I didn't know how to repeat magic. Um, and I knew what we did, but I, I, I didn't know that I could repeat that, 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 that fit that happened with our consumer. And so I met Traeger. My first reaction was, dude, I'm not going from skull candy to grills. And then I sat with Traeger owners and they professed this undying love for their Traeger. And they told me how much, how much it had changed their lives because of the experience that they had in learning to cook and create moments in their backyard with their family. And I had like, it's funny because I, 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 I said no to Traeger uh, six months before I got involved. And I'm sitting with, I'm sitting with Traeger owners, second generation Traeger owners in this like sterile, gross conference room up in Oregon. And I had this light bulb moment, which were there are two things that I loved about this opportunity. And it was super raw. It was 26 years old, but super raw at the time. The first was that there was like this real love, like this real product market fit. It's not easy to build. And the second was, as I think about like, what is doing good in a business mean? It, it wasn't just the team. It was like this, this consumer platform of uh, enabling consumers to have this great experience with their family like to learn to love cooking, but more importantly, to love this moment around the table, which, I, which I've just always loved with my own family. And so light bulb moment, which is I can like, I can have the best of all worlds. I can build a business. I can be a disruptor, an innovator. I can build a team and I can do something that is actually positive for other people. And uh, by the way, that was all before I got on, on the inside. Yeah. Um, but but it, like it just it just had the it, it felt like it had the bones of an opportunity that could be meaningful. Okay, so you take the job and then, so w- when you come in, are you the CEO? What title are you when you come in? 
I am technically, the, I'm the CEO by title, but no one treated me like the CEO. It okay. Was, it was very, it was very, it was very bizarre experience. My, my majority partner, uh, super successful entrepreneur. I mean, like bought a bank when he was 18 years old, uh, you know, what was like Forbes 30 under 30, uh, went to Hollywood, produced like movies, like Terminator, Fugitive, Founded Planet, Hollywood, like incredibly successful. I really admired him as an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't love him as a partner. Gotcha. And uh, he he was definitively in charge. Uh, there was no, I mean, no one respected me. Everyone like snickered behind my back. Like here's like young CEO. He's going to build the skull candy of grills. And it was a, it was really hard. Honestly, it was like, I hadn't felt that way since junior high school when I would walk into the cafeteria and decide that maybe I was sitting alone that day. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of awkward. That's unfortunate. I felt that way every single time I walked into. So it was a lot of gossip, a lot of people talking about people behind their backs, toxic, angry. People didn't like me. They didn't trust me. And, uh, and, and it was really driven. It's just, this was an interesting lesson to me, having spent more time in startups. Cultures reflect the leadership at the top. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how to say this any differently than my partner. Um, he, he built a toxic culture. He hired toxic people and he built the culture. And that was hard for me to change. I, I, I didn't know how to fix like all of this inertia. And uh, honestly, I felt sick to my stomach every single time I walked into that office. And it was funny because every time I walked in, I'd say, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. This is not putting food on the table. And I, and I literally, there was a moment in time where I said, this is ridiculous. Like this was not what I had envisioned. I don't get paid enough to do this. And uh, th there was a moment where I said, this is, this is, it's just not working. This is insane. And, no, nothing had prepared me to fix something that was so toxic and broken and mean-spirited. What made you stay then? Because you could have left. I could have left. You know, they, so that that's an interesting question. I would have left. I had invested a lot of money in this business. And um, you get to a point where money just doesn't mean anything when you're unhappy. And... Um, I would have I would have left it all there. I would have walked away from it had it not been for the fact that I'd hired four friends. Uh, I, I had taken four friends uh, from good paying jobs at Skull Candy, and I brought them in. and And it was uh, I couldn't leave them. And and it's interesting because there are a couple of important lessons uh, that that came from that. But I would have walked away too soon. Uh, were it not for them. And they're, and they're my dearest friends. We call our, you know, we call their group the founding five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, only one of them is still uh, with a, one in addition to me still with the business. But we get together for dinner twice a year. It's like founding five dinner. And we go someplace usually. And we were in the trenches together. Like we did really hard things. I can tell you stories that sound made up that would blow your mind. And they're true. And we just, we would take a bullet for each other. And I, I stayed for them. And, I, and, and I'm really, really grateful that I did. But I had to tell you, you realize 
looking back and, and early on, you talked about, you know, the lows of being an entrepreneur. It's like there are highs and lows. The highs are great. Enjoy them, love them. The lows are hard. And uh, I will tell you that the lowest moment in my career happened at Traeger by far. And what I didn't realize because I didn't have all of the perspective was that I was closer to like this incredibly meaningful moment than I would have understood. It's like, I thought this thing was just like, just like my career was cratering. And um, I'm glad I stuck with it because uh, it, it turned out to be just the best experience I could have scripted. So from what you're, what you're describing was this is toxic workplace. So did you buy the company from the other? How did you change it? Because you stuck around. So obviously an opportunity came up where you could control everything. So how'd that happen? Do you know what? So, so uh, first of all, uh, we, we had acquired a, a partner and I had acquired 48% of the business. And uh, I got five months in and I, I remember sitting with the majority owner and I said, hey, look, respectfully, this isn't working. I can't stay. I will help find a transition um, if you stay. One of us has to go. Mm. And like, we just see the world differently. And I, 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 we convinced him to sell us the rest of the business. And that was, that was a really, really important moment because I felt for the first time like, Oh, uh, although it was dysfunctional and it was challenging and it was broken, that we controlled our destiny. Yes. And then if, like that, that, that was very empowering. And uh, that just put wind in my sails. But yeah, we, we, we bought the rest of the business. And by the way, we, it's on June 17th, we celebrate a holiday at Traeger. It's called Traeger Independence Day. <laughs> And I, 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 I didn't used to talk about this publicly because uh, I had a non-disparagement agreement and we'll, and we'll leave it at that. Okay. But, but Traeger Independence Day was the day that we became free from our prior owner, the, the, the control partner, to build the culture and the business that we aspire to build. And we celebrated every year. And like, not everyone understands. It's a great party. Um, but it's meaningful to me because that's a day that we said, it's up to us. Like, this is going to be hard, but it's up to us. And that was a cool moment. Now, when the guy actually sold you the company, were you like, was it that, oh, shoot moment? Like, oh, now I got it. Now I got to deal with all this toxicity. I got to go back in there and change everything. Uh, did no. I really want to buy this thing? Was all that going through your head? Not, not immediately. Not immediately. Okay. You, you realize that sometimes the absence of pain just feels good. So <laughs> I, 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 it's like, I, I, it wasn't painful. Like it literally from Friday to Saturday, like this, the, it all changed. And I was, you know, this like ignorance was bliss, bright eyed, bushy tailed. It's like, okay, we're going to fix this now. And we, we got through a number of months of like thinking about strategy and team and uh, no, it like the low moment actually hadn't happened yet, interestingly. Hmm. And uh, it happened uh, about four or five months from then. And, um, you know, and, and I'd been thinking about culture and I'd been sitting with team and, 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 and asking questions and doing surveys and building cultural values. And uh, 
I knew it wasn't working, but I hadn't yet uh, decided that it wasn't going to work. It just wasn't making progress. And there was a moment, like a very defined moment, which was the low, where um, I was driving. I was driving up to uh, the, uh, the the Traeger headquarters in in Wilsonville, Oregon, uh, with these 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 leaders that I brought in from Skull Candy. They were my confidants and um, y- y- you know <laughs> my bodyguards as well. <laughs> uh, where we pulled up to the office. And there's fire truck and there are police cars. And one of our 18 wheel rigs was on fire. And it was like, it had been doused with fuel and it was half melted. Like it was smoldering, it was burning or flames coming out of it. And I said, that doesn't look good. Um, master of the obvious. Yeah. Uh, and, and we went straight there and uh, we had learned that it, we had had an incident of arson. And uh, the the and it just recently, literally the prior week, we had sat with the warehouse team and we and, and we said, this is not personal, but the strategy is not working. Um, we can't scale this like we've got like we've got cans stacked everywhere outside. You know, it just it just wasn't it just wasn't working. And so we decided to outsource our warehousing operation. And apparently. Uh, there were members of our team who disagreed with that decision. And uh, what they do, they burned the truck down. And I remember like I was processing this this day. Uh, I remember like huddling with my team of guys and like in an office and saying, what do you do when people are burning your stuff down? Like this is... (laughs) This was, I, I didn't learn anything at Harvard Business. Like, there's no Harvard Business School case. Like, when they start burning your truck down, here's what you do. Right. And, uh, and, and we're sitting there feeling afraid. And, um, you know, one of the members of the team had been there for 30 years, pokes his head in the office, and he said, Hey, rumor has it there's something big going down today. And I look at my team and I, I just said, like, like, bigger than the burning truck. Uh, and, and, and then we learned that uh, there had been an incident in a U- UPS facility cross country in Alabama where a disgruntled employee came in and shot and killed, killed someone. Wow. And we're fearing for our lives and we're trying to figure out what do we do? And there was a moment I remember walking into the restroom, terrified, but not willing to admit it yet. Uh, washing my face, looking in the mirror and saying, this is beyond the pale. Like this has gone too far. The only way for me to fix this is to start over. And uh, it was not, I would never would have signed up for this had I known I would have to let over a hundred people go who had families. Like, it's like they weren't all bad people, but it was just not working. Yeah. And uh, it, it definitely wasn't, uh, you know, for, from the moment that we acquired control of the business, it definitely was not all downhill from there. There was a moment where it started to click and the team and culture started to improve. But, um, you know, for 12 to 18 months, it was just really hard. It just wasn't moving fast enough for you. I, I was I was unwilling yeah. to personally go to a place of work and feel sick to my stomach. It, was, it, it wasn't working. It, it certainly wasn't working fast enough. And it was interesting. Like there was this, this free moment. I'm in the middle of this thing melting down literally and figuratively. 
and I'm about to plan a company meeting and telling my team, hey, listen, like I don't mean to overreact, but stand in different corners of the room just in case. And uh, but it was liberating when I when I, when I eventually stood in front of the team and said, hey, look, I'm going to be super honest with you. This is not personal. This is not working. Uh, we're leaving. And we're not leaving today. We're going to leave over the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that created a very interesting dynamic that actually got better when people knew that I had delivered. No one really trusted me. And I'm not sure why that was the case. But when I had delivered the worst of the news, I said, look, uh, I'm going to take care of you financially. I'll tell you exactly what, I'll, what we will do for each of you. And if you play ball and you stick around, I'll be your best reference. Uh, and, and so it, it was sort of like it was an interesting 12 month transition out, but it got better the day I just stood in front of them and said, you know, I, I, I can't hold back anymore. It's not working. We're, we got to rebuild this. We're going to rebuild it in Utah where where I have a network and a team I can put in place. Yeah. And so was that two years in, three years in, you moved to Utah and really got your hands in it how you want it? You know, it was uh, it was about two years in. Okay. And 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 by the time, so so what I'm doing is like I'm I'm building team in Utah. I've got team in Oregon. I'm sort of building redundant functions. It was expensive, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to what what I also didn't want to do was like I really loved the brand. I really love Traeger, and I did then. I didn't want to be the guy 27, 28 years in to break it. Yeah. Because I'm gotcha. trying to fix it. And so I, I, I built redundant team, but there was a moment in time where we said, uh, you know, this is it. This is like, this is our last day in, 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 in Wilsonville. Uh, we shut the door and we had a team in Utah and that's when it started to really get good. Uh, yeah. like really fun because the team had been built, not around resume resumes and qualifications, like all of those things matter but the team was built around cultural values. And I gotta tell you, like I literally before, before this, uh, I was on video with someone who we'd like to join our accounting team. And he said, I can't believe you're spending time with me. And I said, I, I, I do it with everyone. And I do it, number one, I, I, I want to welcome someone joining the team. I want them to know that I care. But number two, I view the most important role of a, of a leader to be a cultural filter for his business. Like you learn that people don't change that much. I tried to change the people in Oregon and, and, and I, and I learned a better way to do it is to build a team of people that saw the world in a similar way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think being that cultural filter is what made it really fun. Like I was, I was running up a mountain with a member of my team this morning and I couldn't have been happier. That's amazing. Now, when you, how quick did you see the turnaround? Because over the last three, four years, Traeger has just blown up. Like you hear about it everywhere. I see it sold out everywhere. Like after you moved to Utah, how long did it take before it really took off? Yeah. Look, first of all, I'll say you just wait. Like we are, we are, we are early innings in this thing. Um, But you know, it was interesting. Um, It was slow. It was actually slow going. That was fun. Uh, and, and I loved it, but, but it was slow going because, you know, to really make a brand go, you've got to build this platform and you got to do a lot of things right. you got to make investments in the future and you don't get paid for those soon. And so I would say 
the first three years, it was like, it was slow going. We're bailing out bad revenue. We're rebuilding product. We're, we're, we're repairing retail relationships, rebuilding strategy. And so we were like, the, the, the first three years, we added like $30 million of new revenue. Um, now, the next, I've been here set, almost seven and a half years. The next four years, you know, we'll add like seven or $800 million of new revenue. So like, and, and so it was interesting because I love the early days. We were working hard for not a lot of return, but I'm just this big believer. You do the right thing for a business and, and, and you don't cut corners and eventually things start to go. And brands are particularly interesting that way. Like as, as a brand owner, you can't predict when it will really start to get momentum. And, and, and that means like customers evangelizing to other customers as opposed to Traeger saying to our, to our customers, hey, this is like, come, come check us out. And so it really, I'd say it really started to work in 2017, like in, in a way that was like, suddenly there was magic again. And uh, do you know when you look back, what caused that? Is there, I know it's probably several things, but is there one thing that sticks out that caused yeah. this momentum? 100%. I mean, there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of sort of underlying tenets that we believe in. And I would say the two that I think are most important, number one is product experience. Can, can you build a product that is meaningfully different and important to a consumer? So we invested a lot in innovation. The second is community. You know, um, brands are interesting animals. When, 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 you're, when you have a community who cares as much about your brand as you do, like that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we set out to make, the, make our community our biggest evangelists. And so I started to feel that in 2017 and it was in pockets. At where 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 your brand your your community building is done by your your community, yeah. And you know I've thought a lot about that. That's like the holy grail in in branding. It's like it's the best thing ever. And I've thought a lot about how that how that happened. And and I really go back to this 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 belief that it's our cultural values that ultimately help build our community. It's like and- you. you Go ahead. No, and, and what I say, when you talk about other people talking about the grill in an organic, real way, you know, I learned about the grill from Joe Rogan because he, he, I just came in, he was talking about grilling and he goes, man, you got to get one of these. And this was off the air. It wasn't like he was trying to sell this thing. He was like, man, I just love it. I stay healthy. Yeah. I can cook my own meat. I do my elk on it. And like, he was so passionate about he it is. and how much he loves it and how much he loves to cook his elk on it. You know, and it was a it was a point where, well, let me check this out. And then just so happens I meet you and then and then I see the culture and I I totally got it about a year ago. I was like, I understand. And I now I talk to friends that they never knew I grilled. Now I grill all the time and they have Traegers. And it's something when you have a they're so proud of it. Oh, yeah, I yeah. got a trigger and it does this, yeah. this, this. You know, they even had a funny video where it's like, yeah, I set my timer. I put it on my phone. You know, like you, everybody just it. if you got a trigger, you just talk about it. So you've definitely built that community. Uh, how do you take it to the next level? Because I know you got to go. We've been on for a while. What's next for Traeger, if you can so, say? So so, so it's a good question. Um, if, first of all, um, you know, when, when you talk about Joe Rogan, I think it's important to note that 
he's one of the most authentic human beings I know. Yes. And we never called him and said, hey, can we do something together? Somehow he reached out and said, um, I'm, I'm cooking on a different grill, but this may be good for, for my elk steaks. And so our SoCal guy went over his house, set up a grill and taught him to use it. And then he started to fall in love with it. And then he started to post on social media. We're like, guys, Joe Rogan just posted about it. <laughs> like, are you freaking kidding me? And uh, that authenticity, like that, that's our, that's our foundation. That's also our future. Yeah. And so, you know, you always love to grow as a brand, but one of the real risks that you have is that growth becomes inorganic, that you force it and you, and you do things that no longer feel natural. And so like for us thinking about how do we authentically scale our community and that's it. I mean, you know, it's not about dollars spent on advertising. It's about taking a different approach. Big companies don't do this very well. Yeah, it's like, they don't. It's all about the marketing budget, the contract. Hey, so you're going to do this and we're going to pay you for that. It's not what Traeger's about. Well, well and, what what I do what I do see what you're talking about is it's, it has to be authentic. And like you said, big companies, they'll just pay an influencer to do something. But when Rogan, like I, I know Rogan well, when he will not advertise something he doesn't 100% believe in. And it's not yep. even an, I don't even call it an advertiser. This is stuff he really uses. You just say, hey, this is A, and I use this all the time, and I absolutely love it. And yeah. you should love it too. So, and I feel that when he talks about your grill, it's like that. And like you said, big companies don't do it well. They, they, they don't. And, and for us, we, we never, we never want to pay someone to, you know, if, if there's not a genuine passion, it's not, it's, it's not a partnership for us. Like can consumers really feel that? And, um, you know, so, so when you ask what the future is, there, there, there are two things that make us different. Uh, there is, there's innovation, which creates a product experience. Like what, what does that really mean? It means that Traeger makes cooking fun. And when I sit around the table, my fans, it's like high five all the way. Dad, where did you get, where did you get these, these beef ribs? It's like, no, I cook these. Dad, seriously, where did you cater this? Like what restaurants? Like, no, I, like how good does that feel? And you bond around this experience. So product, product enables the experience. We just want to create better experiences. That's number one, product experience. The second piece is like build a very authentic community who is engaged and like really loves what we stand for. All of the other stuff you have to do, but it's noise if you let it become noise. Like it's it's really about do our consumers love to cook and do they want to tell each other about it? Like that that was that's our past, that's our present, that's our future. And uh so far it feels like it's working. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Well, Jeremy, man, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's just inspiring. You you inspire me. And I just want to put more people on the show that inspire me. And I love what you've done. I love your story. And I can't wait to watch it grow. I got to tell you, Michael, uh, I had, this, this was fun. Great conversation. I love your passion. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for taking the time. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.